Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditchwitch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. How are you this morning? Steve, I am doing well and looking forward to our show. Believe it or not, we're going to be bouncing around the map, geographically speaking, that is, as we join Gabe Bolivar out in Oceanside, California, that will be sharing uh, not only the Western techniques, but also really uh, kind of his arsenal that he uses all over the country. Then we're going to be heading all the way to Nebraska, where we'll be talking about a listener question, and we have a giveaway that's going out up into the Northeast. So it's going to be a good show. Man, I'm looking forward to all of that. Let's roll. Get it like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing. But... Oh, did, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Well, now, Aaron, before we get started today, I just want to make sure that we're civil here on our show today. With all this craziness going on in Congress, on tennis courts and award shows, I just want to make sure we keep it all very, very civil here on the edge. I know how you can get sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, your your first problem is using the word us and civil in the same sentence. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like saying athletic and Aaron. Uh, that, that's just highly unlikely. But, um, you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's, what a week. And, you know, speaking of week, what was that? Uh, I don't know. Was it email or something of... I guess you watching MTV and something about Taylor Swift. I didn't, I didn't realize you were a member of the Taylor Swift fan club. I'll tell you what, man. I, I, uh, I didn't know who Kanye West or Taylor Swift was. You know, they're not bluegrass <laughs> musicians <laughs> or they're, or they're or from the 60s. So uh, I didn't quite know who they were. But that was in the news. And, man, people being rude. Well, I just I, I just can't believe that. And, unfortunately, we, we occasionally see that out on the lake, out on the water. And, uh, boy, it's just, it's just no excuse for it. And I just want to urge everybody to just uh, use kindness and civility and use the proper boat ramp etiquette. But, uh, man, unfortunately, it's just not always that way. Well, you're right, Steve. And, you know, of course, I, I admit I was watching, uh, you know, Serena Williams. Of course, I'm a, I'm a big tennis fan. I love to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up doing it in high school. And the interesting thing, I think, when you – you don't often realize the impact, I think, that our actions may have on somebody else. And, you know, take Serena Williams, for instance. She, For those of you who don't know, she broke her racket on the court but then went over and just totally reamed this line judge um, and totally out of character. And, you know, my my daughter, Maya, was sitting there, and she was just mm. appalled. She just could not believe that she had done this. And, you know, that those are the type of implications that it has on young people that's, you know, who knows, may have grown up in that sport. Well, and that's so true. And if you're in a boat with somebody that takes you fishing and they get into some beef with somebody on the boat ramp about hurrying or arguing over a spot on the lake or not being courteous enough to let other people uh, fish close to them, I mean, uh, you know, you're just you're just uh, throwing out the wrong message. And, uh, and, and, man, society has just seemed to go too much that way. And I just want us to get back to being... 
the good old boys that, that we should be. Exactly. Kind of like the themes of Dukes of Hazard, you know, just the good old boys. <laughs> no, but seriously. I know you were a big Dukes fan. Hey, I was. Daisy, man, I was a Daisy fan club. Daisy Duke. Yeah. Shorts, you know. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't watch it much back then. And, uh, you know, as bad as that movie was, uh, uh, Daisy was pretty good in that movie, too. <laughs> hey, Steve. Steve, I don't I don't think I would admit I, you saw the movie. Okay, there you go. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Boy, I no, mean, I, I was. I actually was a tremendous Dukes of Hazard fan. And, you know, speaking of bringing us back to something you said earlier, because I don't want this to get away, um, even within our sport, look at what happened just, I don't know, what was it, few months several months back it was mm-hmm. i know it was in this particular season with with boy ducking and another angler out on the water you know mm-hmm. it was a point of contention and it went way out of hand and i understand don't get me wrong what i am not saying is certainly i have lost i've done my fair share of losing my temper throughout my lifetime and will not be the last however i think there are things that we can do to circle back to make a bad situation to at least help oh absolutely and uh you know, that was a shame that uh, one of his competitors actually tried to ruin his fishing. And, uh, you know, there is a lot of money involved, but, man, there's just no excuse for for it. But uh, anyway, uh, it's been pretty civil so far. I just, uh, I know that, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm in a good mood these days. I love fall, you know, for a lot of reasons. And here we're already losing a few leaves off of our walnut trees here in the Ozarks. but uh, And it's football season. you watching football this weekend? Uh, only scores, just uh, enough to kind of check on. You know, I'm, I'm kind of watching Alabama now just so I know when I can give you a call and, like, rub it in if they're going to lose or something, you know. But hey. then I also checked on the Tigers, and, and they came back and won from Bowling Green. So not much. Yeah. You're not going to get too many calls on my tide this year. They're looking pretty good. Uh, I but I can't so. believe I can't believe you didn't watch your uh, St. Louis Rams play this week. <laughs> yeah, that uh, they were just stellar. <laughs> the, yeah, they were they were stellar. Okay, uh, I, I think there was a big goose egg on the scoreboard, if I remember right, like twenty-seven to nothing against Seattle. Now that's uh, no, I, I used to be a huge fan of them, but you know, I, I'm just much more into getting outside, and that's the advantage I think when we, as we get into the fall and football seasons going on. Of course, I do like football and I like sports, but man, what a time to get out on the water! You know, a lot, lot less people. Man, I tell you what, I love. I love fishing in the fall, you know, and talking about football. When I lived in Texas, uh, of course, I, I, Lake Fork was kind of my favorite lake. And, man, I would always make a point, as much as I love the Cowboys, to go fishing on Sunday afternoon when the Cowboys were on TV. Because, by golly, you had the lake to yourself almost. And uh, and it's not only a great time to, uh, you know, and then also there's the hunters. A lot of the hunters are out. So, you know, the lakes are not very crowded. You have them to yourself. And it's a beautiful time of year. Plus, man, it's a great time of year to catch fish. It is a great time of year. You know, the fish have moved in shallow. And just the wildlife, you know, you brought up the, the hunting and, and everything that's going on from the deer, you know, to the waterfowl migrating in. Um, just so much activity um, from the from the wildlife, that is. But like you spoke about, a lot less activity, it seems, from the anglers. And, man, the fish are back in the, you know, in the creeks, in the coves. And you can pretty much go into whether it be a crankbait, spinnerbait, topwater jig, whatever your liking is, you've got something to be able to catch them on. 
well, you know, uh, Fisher, you know, they, they know winter's coming, and those cold fronts can be a real trigger. In, in our, like in our part of the country, you know, they're stocking up, they're eating. And I know for me, like you said, uh, pick your pleasure. And for me, that's top waters. And I just I just try to force that top water bite as much as I can in the fall. I just I just love it. So, man, it's great to be out in the fall, watch the ducks land, no bucks in a rut running down the bank. Uh Makes me uh, makes me want to get out, my friend. Yeah, it it sure does, and certainly uh, we're gonna take advantage of that. And speaking of taking advantage of our next opportunity, I'm looking forward to Gabe Bolivar. You know, he's in kind of an ex motocross racer. Uh, of course, I like to do, used to like to do that. Don't anymore. Afraid of getting hurt, but uh, certainly <laughs> like to do that. I'm anxious to talk with him not only about that, but also some of the things that's going on uh, as he travels and and what's taking place out west. Well, I know you had a great visit with Gabe, so let's take a quick break and get to that interview right after this. Power. Productivity. Speed. It's the best trencher ever made, not to mention the best plow. Dumper. Tiller. Backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution, is here. Hi, this is Scott Suggs, and you're listening to The Edge. We are back on The Edge, and our next segment has us partnered with an angler that has posted four consecutive Forest Wood Cup championships. Today, we're heading to the west side in Oceanside, California, as Gabe Boulevard joins us. Gabe, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on, and kind of before we jump off into, uh, I guess, all the tips and techniques that we're going to be discussing, yeah, I, I found out that I guess you're a former motocross racer. Um, I am. Did, how did that translate into bass fishing, Gabe? Actually, um, you know, I raced dirt bikes from the time I was about nine years old until I was around 22. And when I quit racing, it was kind of just a mutual thing that my parents and I came up with. I'd been hurt several times, and it was uh, just it was really dangerous. And I spent several nights in the ER with a lot of broken bones and a couple trips on life flight. And, you know, it's, uh, it's even harder than bass fishing to break in and make a living at. I mean, it's one of those things where basically any, any day you could, you could crash and, and, you know, that could change your career. And I was at a point in my life where I didn't know if that was what I wanted to continue doing. And I always fished all my life. And when I quit racing, um, I, I sat around for a couple of years and, and just did a little bit of work and did some miscellaneous odds and ends with my dad doing some carpentry and I was actually kind of depressed and my dad sat me down and said you know I think that you're missing some competitive uh, stuff that you're used to being with all your life and I I think that we need to figure something out so we kind of started fishing like buddy you know father son we were a team and we started fishing team tournaments together and it kind of everything that kind of got the whole ball rolling I mean after I did that for a few years I kind of got this crazy idea that I might be a professional bass fisherman and that's that's what happened I just uh 
basically uh, chase that dream. And it was, I remember the night I was sitting out on my parents' washing machine and I told my dad that I was going to be a professional fisherman and he tipped his hat back and, and just put his hands over his eyes and he said, you know, here we go again because I just got done trying to do that for, you know, the last 10 years. So um, that that's really what got the whole thing started. And, you know, I fished ever since I was a little baby. My dad was something that my dad always did and he was in, in bass tournaments and bass clubs. And basically just when I quit racing, he just fished it outlet to fuel my competitive side and um you know something that to keep me occupied and, and keep me busy and that's you know what's led into i've been fishing now as a professional for 10 years i'm 33 and um you know i've been doing it full time for four years on the flw tour i was kind of uh you know, had some hit and misses all through fishing up through the Everstarts, and I fished some Redmans, and just some, some uh, I actually fished bass for a few years, and I didn't have a whole lot of success. I fished on the, which is the Leeds now, it was the top 150s at the time. Um, I fished there, and I, did, I had real limited success, and I actually was to the point to where, I was real close to quitting. I was, uh, I think I was around 28 or 29 and, um, you know, I, I was living at home and, um, you know, my mom was doing my laundry for me and they were wiring money, wiring me money to, you know, go to a tournament and, and pay for my hotel. And, and it was just like, man, I never went to school. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was kind of, kind of just like, wow, you know, what, uh, what, what am I going to do next? This whole bass fishing thing doesn't seem to be working out. And, I got a I got a break. I went to um an FLW it was the at the time String Series Championship and um I was the it's the Strin now was to ever start back then and it was on Pickwick Lake in Alabama and I drove all the way out to that tournament got out there and my truck got broken into. I didn't have no clothes. I had no money. And it was just this big dramatic story. And the first day I went out and I didn't catch anything. I think I was in like 140th place. And I came back to make the cut in 10th. I had like the heaviest stringer of the tournament. And I went on to have just an outstanding week, and I ended up finishing second to Sam Newby by an ounce in that tournament. And that tournament was really the the tournament that changed my whole entire fishing career. It was at the point when FLW, our economy was on fire. It was thriving. There were sponsors in the crowd. It was my really my first chance to get up on stage and 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 just let my personality come out and, and be who I was. And I, I told my story about having everything, you know, getting stolen and it just it, it made for a really good story and I think that I said a couple right things to a few people that were listening and basically that was an FLW gave me an opportunity to you know to fish on their tour full time with one of their team deals and um, you know the rest is pretty much history I've been doing that that was four years ago and I, I won the rookie of the year the first year that I fished on their tour and then I, I think I finished seventh that year and I then I I finished fifth the following year and I was actually in the angler of the year race all the way up until the last uh last second and it didn't work out and then I've had a couple of just mediocre years but still been able to qualify and, and make all the championships. So um you know it hasn't been an outstanding career but I think that it's it's still young and I'm looking forward to a lot of years still fishing out there. So it's it's been a great ride and it's really, really amazing how it all fell together for me. I didn't ever think um there was definitely, definitely a lot more nights of thinking that I'm never gonna be able to make a living at this than there was I am gonna make a living. So it's really nice to actually be 
I, I'm far from saying that I've made it, but I'm a lot closer than I was five years ago, that's for sure. Well, that, and that's certainly a neat story, and I think when we look back, probably all of us have, you know, similar things that, you know, point us in the right direction. And looking back to those days on sitting on the back of that bike or perhaps, you know, riding in the back of an ambulance and, um, you know, also in the in the back of a, of a helicopter on a life flight, it's, it's kind of ironic of how things along those lines can point us in a different direction. But the good thing is, you know, motocross typically is a sport you've got to retire at at about age 22 and we're fortunate yeah. enough that even on a recreational level it doesn't matter how old how you know um, tall short you know sex or anything else uh comes into play concerning fishing and i you know that's maybe some insight that you can give us not only just from a competitive standpoint but just also recreationally uh, because i'm sure there are a lot of things that do overlap in the sport of motocross uh and also of the demands of fishing Sure. I mean, you know, the competitiveness is exactly the same. I mean, wanting to win, the will to win, um, that's exactly the same as fishing. You know, the the main difference is, you know, between the two, it's actually any professional sport you could relate to bass fishing. Obviously, bass fishing doesn't have, um, it definitely has a physical aspect, but it's not to the level of motocross or football or, you know, anything along those lines. But, um, you know, motocross is very mental. Um, being prepared on, on Sunday on race day is, no different than being prepared if you're a little league player getting ready for your little league game or if you're you know trying to be prepared to to win you know the FLW tour championship um it's 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 all the the same stuff that you have to prepare in your mind and and that aspect of it is is really similar and you know competition is competition i mean when i used to line up on a starting gate with you know 25 dirt bikes and, and, you know, rev the engines up and get ready for the gates fall. That was an amazing feeling, but, you know, I'd be lying if I told you that when I'm island out of the buoy line for the forest would cut, um, you know, it's, it's equally as fun or if not funner. Um, it's something that, you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, going out there and, and breaking my neck. I get to go out and enjoy my day and, and, um, you know, it's, it's really fulfilling to, to be able to do that. And it's just like any other sport, you know, as far as competitiveness and preparing for game day, it's all the same. You know, it's just the physical aspects obviously are different. But, um, you know, anybody that – the good thing about fishing is it's, it's ageless. And that's – you said something about, you know, gender and, and the age. That's one of the neatest things is you can be any age and start. Um, you know, you can do as long as you want. You can be male or female. It, it doesn't matter. And that's something that – it is really, really good and, and hopefully will help to grow our sport as, you know, time goes because that's obviously the most important thing is to, to try and grow it and, and, you know, stuff like this grows it. That's what's great about this radio program and, you know, being able to come on here and, and talk to people about what I do and how I do it. Hopefully we can grow our sport and continue to make it bigger and better. Well, and speaking of growth, you know, you grew up west of the Rockies. Uh, has that afforded you, I guess, a different perspective uh, then let's say kind of your Eastern colleagues or counterparts. And, you know, then I guess my follow-up question to that is, is that an, an asset or a hindrance? Um, no, I definitely think it's a plus. Growing up out here, um, it's it's completely different than, than growing up in the South. Um, 
in the south, it's a lot more of the fishing is, or the, even the north is, is completely different, but, you know, we do spend more time fishing in the south than the north, and uh, it's just a lot of, of good old fishing, big jigs, big spinnerbaits, big worms, and, and just, you know, power fishing techniques. And, and growing up out here, we have um, great fisheries like the California Delta and Clear Lake, where we can fish that way, but there's also a lot of spotted bass, clear water, you know, um, finesse style. So I think that's how come you've seen so many Western fishermen have success, um, you know, on national level circuits because they're so well-rounded at, at what, you know, what they want to do. Matter of fact, I just came back from a tournament. I was at the U.S. Open. I didn't do so well over there, but one of my buddies, he, he got to fish with Rick Klun and, and we were catching them on drop shot really good. And uh, Rick Clun actually fished right by us, and he pointed out that I had a fish on, and, and my buddy said that, um, you know, that's, that's the guy that I practiced with all week. That's my buddy Gabe right there. And and he goes, he's, you know, he's probably catching them on a drop shot. And, and Rick Clun said that he'd never thrown a drop shot in his whole entire life, and he wasn't about to start then. And I just, it was shocking to me that, that somebody like Rick Clun has never even tied on a drop shot before. Um, and I think that growing up as a Western angler, you don't have, you can't afford not to, to try those kind of techniques because we have so many lakes that are clear and deep and, and hard to catch bass on, heavily pressured and just really smart, light line tactics to get bit. So that, that's how come so many of the guys are well-rounded. I mean, Aaron Martins and, uh, you know, Skeet Reese. Skeet Reese grew up fishing on, you know, the California Delta and Clear Lake, but he also had Shasta and Orville right there, too. And those are both, you know, spotted bass, clear, clear water-type lakes where you can hone your, you know, finesse techniques. So there, there really is um, a, a lot to being a, a Western guy, and it keeps us really well-rounded on I wouldn't change it any other way that, that, you know, this is where I grew up fishing. I really wouldn't. I think that it's really helped me become a better bass angler without a doubt in my mind for sure. Well, Clearwater, you know, has the stereotype to where it often leaves a lot of anglers praying for clouds and wind. How do you right. capitalize under, you know, those less than ideal circumstances or conditions when you're out on the water? Yeah, well, a lot of it is really mental because those bass that live in the clear water are the same bass that live in the dirty water. And once you can, you know, get it through your head that, that catching those is no different than catching the dirty water ones, it, it's really a lot easier. There's really no difference between the fish. The only difference, like in a, in a, in a clear water lake, you can actually see what's so neat about it. Instead of being intimidated by it, you need to take advantages of being able to see into the water and see things where the bass would live. And that's, you know, that's a, that's when you're fishing dirty water, you can't see the bottom, so you're only fishing, you know, real shallow and, and maybe like a visible bush or something that you can see because it's hard to see under the water. Well, in a clear water lake, you know, you can fish dark spots in the water. 20 feet deep, you can see a ledge down there. And, I mean, you can be vertical over top of that and, and just drop a drop shot right down that on that ledge and catch a fish. So, you know, there's a, a lot of benefits to being able to fish clear water. Rather than it being a hindrance, um, it's actually a lot easier to see where, where a bass might live down deep. So um, that's something that you need to keep in mind and just make sure that, you know, you don't ever get discouraged if the water's clear because those fish don't know that they're used to living in clear water, you know, and that's what that's what that's where they live. So it's their home and and they, they react the same way that, you know, a dirty water bass does. They just may be a little bit deeper because they want to get the light off their heads, but you can see where they're at down there. So 
um, you know, that's kind of how you have to approach that, I think. Well, and that ties into something that you said earlier as far as, you know, it's all in your perception or your perspective, and I think that's a good point. You know, which leads me, you know, talking about clear water and the fact of, of how much more um, that can the bass can see and seek out prey. You know, there's a lot, seems to be a lot of emphasis placed on some of the western baits as far as the finishes and the design and the size and the action. It seems like that there's just so much more attention to detail given. Is that because of the clear water and because of the finic- finickiness of the bass, or what's your thought on that? Um, I think that, uh, you know, it seems like um, our baits have much more of a Japanese influence than some of the stuff um, back east and in the north has. Uh, I'm not not particularly sure why, but uh, we, we seem to get a lot of the, I would say more than being the Western influence, it's, it's a Japanese influence. Like, um, you know, Lucky Craft is real big and Jackal and a lot of Mega Bass. You know, those dates were around um, out here, I think, before most people knew about them in the South. I, I don't know how come that stuff comes to us first, but maybe it is because of the clear water or maybe it's just because, the biggest difference is I've noticed between, you know, Eastern fishermen and Western fishermen, the Western fishermen are real, they're real freaky. They're almost kind of sick in the head a little bit when it comes to tackle. You know, the, the, they they seem to really be picky on, you know, if my spinnerbait doesn't have that, that shade of blue in it, it's not going to catch a fish. And which maybe that, that works, maybe that doesn't work, you know, but uh, Western guys seem to be really keen on that, and and I think it's just because we have more of a Japanese influence on baits in our market. But obviously, um, clear clear water in Japan, they have a lot of clear water and they have a lot of high pressure, so they have to make their baits most more lifelike to catch more fish. And you know, with us out here, uh, we kind of are in the same scenario. Our, our lakes are real clear. And we have a lot of pressure, so they, you know, they make baits to try and look exactly the same. And we have a lot of, you know, big, big largemouths out here, you know, Florida strain that they, they grow up to, you know, 20 pounds. So the whole trout and, and the, the swim bait thing is huge out here. And I think that's where a lot of the stuff comes from, too, even scaling down even the smaller lures because those big trout lures have to look so lifelike and be so realistic to get those big fish to bite that, you know, we've even started to make our smaller lures just for the pound and a half to three pound, you know, tournament size bass. We're trying to, to take that stuff to the, to the same level as far as detail. And, um, you know, that's probably a big part of it too. Here we are at the latter part of, of September. What do we as anglers need to be taking into consideration and keying on, you know, for this time of year? Well, right now the fall's coming, and that's you know one of one of my favorite times to fish. You know the shad are gonna are gonna push um, shallow. A lot of the shad live real deep during the summer on our lakes out here, and then as the water starts to cool down, you know it, it pushes stuff towards the bank, and the fishing can can get phenomenal. I mean, topwater lures comes into play big time. Uh, not not only in the early morning, but all day long. Any type of lipless crankbait, Lucky Craft LV five hundred, um, you know that whole type of a bite really becomes good in the middle of the pockets you can get out there and and sand cast like an lb 500 around throw a sammy out you know try and call up those fish that herd bait into the back of those pockets and that's really the bite that you know you want to look for going into the fall because there is going to be a time when those fish really start to feed before it gets cold and then when it gets cold they're going to start to move back out to their you know deeper depths and, and get hunkered down those rock piles and, and really start keening on more of like the crawdad kind 
kind of stuff. But as we approach fall, I, w- I would think reaction baits, crankbaits, and, and um, topwater lures is going to be your best choice and, you know, the most fun, without a doubt. It's one of the best times to fish. I know, you know, November when things start cooling off, it gets really, really good out here, and it becomes a lot of fun. Well, Gabe, uh, all great information. I do need to get us out to a break, but thank you so much for your time. Best of luck both on and off the water, and we look forward to doing it again. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. Well, that was a good visit with Gabe, man. It's always great to hear from the from the guys out west how they can kind of do things a little different. And, and I like to uh, uh, consider how those things can apply over here in our part of the world. It is. It's it's always uh, really it's fascinating, and you can tell by his energy, um, just even coming through on the interview. I mean, the the guy is passionate about the sport. Um, he he just really kind of takes it to a completely different level. I think when you look at all the things that play into it, from the mental aspects to you know his tackle, like he commented on there, but just. Just a lot of good stuff, and certainly, Gabe, appreciate you taking time there. Steve, I'm going to let you respond to this week's question because it's really yeah. it's, it's right up your alley. Good and, deal. Well, so uh, we're going to test you out here. It actually comes in from Andrew, um, and he put N-E, so I'm assuming that's probably Nebraska. Um, some may say it's New England, but I, th- I think we'll get this right here. It says, I've heard a lot about fishing the creek that feeds the lake, but what if there is no lake? What should I look for? What baits should I use? Also, when they talk about fishing in the fall, they keep referencing Texas, Florida, and other southern states. But I live in NE, which we're assuming is Nebraska. Well, you're right, Aaron. That really is up my alley because you know that I love to fish creeks and streams. And uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, you know, uh, that in the fall, like uh, like we're moving into right now, these fish are following these lake fish are following those schools of shad, and and they, you know, they're just like you and I during that football game. You know, sitting on the couch, and when they get hungry, they just go to the refrigerator. But these creek fish, they have to take every opportunity. Food is flowing down the river, down the creek, and they have to take every uh, opportunity to eat. So you're, you're fishing for a fish that's uh, going to uh, uh, more often bite because of opportunity, take every opportunity, and not so locked in to time of day and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, when I'm fishing uh, on a creek or a river, I love to find the current break. You know, whether that's uh, a small boulder in a small creek or a bridge piling in a bigger river, uh, those fish love to sit in that current bank, save that energy against the current, and just wait for food to flow by. And uh, as far as baits go, uh, there again, it kind of depends on what your number one forage is. I find that most of the rivers and the creeks that I fish in, the number one forage is crawfish. 
So, uh, so I like jigs. I like uh, uh, plastic uh, crawworm, crawfish imitations, uh, and I like to use them in a drifting technique where you know you 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 cast with lightweight, let them kind of drift past that boulder or that bridge piling. But uh, uh, man, I love fishing rivers. I tell you what, I think the fish are a little stronger because they a little more muscular because they spend their life. Uh, uh, fighting the current, and I believe they're a little more aggressive because when they get a chance to feed, they have to feed. Well, that's that's all true information, and that great advice, I think, going out to Andrew there. And um, certainly, you know, I mean, the rivers hold a, a special place in my heart as well. We've talked about it many times, but uh, I just like the fact that they're a changing dynamic, you know, and there's always something different. But, you know, to throw in one more thing um, concerning Andrew's question as far as you know versus south versus north midwest east west one thing that i do want to stress to andrew is that seasonal patterns when you look at the seasonal conditions of which dictate more or less a bass's behavior the only difference between the north and the south is going to be how soon it happens remember we've talked many many times on here concerning photo period or that increase or decrease in the amount of daylight within any 24 hour period and as the that daylight increases the water is getting warmer well that's going to happen obviously sooner in the south versus in the north and it's going to happen later obviously as we go into the fall so one of the things to keep in mind is just move that up the farther north that you get or um, you know back the farther south that we get well that's so true Aaron and I know that uh, we talked about this also but uh, I know you're a huge log keeper and that's that can be a valuable tool uh, keep your logs in yearly and you can see uh, next year when certain things began to happen and when certain patterns began to change and uh, you know like Aaron said bass or bass a lot of the same stuff applies. Obviously, there's uh, uh, unique qualities to each fishery, but uh, the biggest difference in the various places in the country is the time of year and when this all happens. Yeah, I can't stress that enough. And just like Gary Klein you know, brought up last week, I mean, he logs everything. And I'm not saying that you have to log everything, but if you will at least keep track of weather conditions, water temperature, you know, time of year, um, the pertinent information for future references such as that, you will see over a period of years that there's going to be trends and, and um, you know, patterns that develop. And what a tremendous reference, I think, of just going back. And I find it, also, I find it interesting. But bottom line, it's ultimately there to help us put more fish in the boat. Well, that's true. And, man, it's great to hear from Andrew. Andrew, man, keep us posted. Let us know how your, uh, how your creek fishing's going. But uh, let's break it off, and we'll be right back here on The Edge. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. 
Well, Steve, I know we're bumping up against kind of the reruns of that Taylor Swift episode that you want to see, so <laughs> I guess we better get out of here. But uh, but before we do, we need to give something away. Oh, man, you're not going to get off that one, are you? Well, I tell you what, I do. let's do give something away. My favorite part of the show and Joseph of Trenton, New Jersey, wins a Bass Edge Season 2 DVD and a Bass Edge decal. Well, congratulations, Joseph, and it's always good. We don't hear a lot from our folks in New Jersey, so it's always good to hear from them. Well, unfortunately, that is it for today, but be sure to look for us on Bass Edge Television, seen each and every day on the World Fishing Network. Also, don't forget to log on to BassEdge.com for the latest tips from the pros and a chance to win great prizes. Until next time, I am Aaron Martin, and for Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we look forward to seeing you again next week, right here on The Edge. Bass Edge has been brought to you in part by Ditch Witch, MegaWare Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Super Start Batteries, Mother's Polishes, Waxes and Cleaners, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.